0: Well, turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, as we are here now in between um, some series that we are doing, especially with Pastor Spots, being doing Pulp Supply in Colorado, considering the fact that we are participating in celebrating the sacrament of the Lord's Supper this morning, Ephesians 1, 3 through 3-14 is a very helpful passage for us. I'm sure you're very familiar. If you've been in church for very long with the book of Ephesians, we won't be spending all of our time figuring out each and every single word and each and every single detail in this passage as there is so much. We will be trying to see the main points and what God would have us to know and to respond to as a result. So Ephesians chapter 1, I'll start reading in verse 3 and down through verse 14. so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. This is the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it to us. Let's go to him in a time of prayer once again this morning. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word to us, especially this passage from Ephesians. We know, Lord, that it's ultimately given so that we may praise you. We pray that we would see more of you and your salvation for us in Jesus Christ, the work of you and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that we may be able to adequately believe and trust and have confidence and respond in gratitude and praise. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as we come to the beginning of Ephesians, we see that the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to this church in Ephesus and we aren't entirely sure exactly what caused him to write it. Perhaps these people were suffering and struggling and wondering if they should go back to paganism, or they were wondering if these things that they had heard in the gospel were really true. We aren't entirely sure all the details there, but we can see that he begins with some very deep and very heady things. That oftentimes when we begin our letters, we say something along the lines of, I hope this finds you well, or give some small talk updates. And Paul doesn't really do that with this letter. Paul really jumps into it right from verse 3 and he is giving them all sorts of reminders of who God is and what God has given to them in these spiritual blessings. And perhaps it's a big question for them as it, was, as it is for us. How can we go as we know that God has predestined us for salvation, as we know that God is working all things according to the counsel of his will, how can we go from that to this great plan, this great decree that was made before creation even existed to where we are today? What is the connection there? How can we have an understanding of these things? How do we actually receive the blessings that God has predestined us for? How do these things come about? How do they come to us? This is a very helpful passage for that sort of question. And particularly, I think, it's a helpful question, a helpful passage, a helpful question to ask as we come to the Lord's table. As we know, especially those of us who have grown up in churches, that we have seen this happen and we participate in it perhaps time and time again. That whether it's weekly or monthly or quarterly or whatever it may be, we know that there is bread and there is wine, that the minister says certain words, that the elders distribute it, that we receive it, that we take and eat, we take and drink, we remember and believe. But what exactly is going on there and how is it going on? What do we mean when we call this a spiritual meal, a spiritual feast, a spiritual feeding on Christ? Well, Ephesians 1, 3 through 14 really helps us with these things. So we're going to try to keep things as simple as we can at least as simple as we can, in the book of Ephesians chapter 1, and ask really three questions, each in turn. First, we ask very simply, what? And then so what? And then now what? What is Paul saying? What does this mean? So what? How is he explaining this doctrine to us? And now what? What are we to do as a response? So first, the what as we come to Ephesians. And we notice right off the bat that word blessed. verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And so in that verse 3 we see that word or a a synonym of that word used three times. The idea of blessing or being blessed. That this is really what God is getting at through the Apostle Paul, what the Holy Spirit is inspiring him to write. And he begins by telling us of the grace of God. He begins of telling us of the blessings that God has given to us. And he begins by really showing that God is glorious and he deserves praise and honor and worship as a result of who he is and what he has done for us. He has given us great grace. So verse 3 is really a call to worship in a way. Now we may not think of it that often, we probably don't hear it very often at the beginning of our services, but that's what its function is here in the beginning of this epistle. Now Paul is coming to the Ephesian Christians, he's telling them you should worship God as a result of these things. It's very similar to what happens in the Old Testament as there's a call to worship and then an explanation of the reasons why. It's what Paul is doing here in verse 3. He gives us a call to worship and then really through the rest of the epistle explains why we are to worship this God. And why are we to worship this God? Well, because he has given us grace. He has blessed us with these spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ. We know that grace is a word that's thrown around quite often. We can say someone was graceful, meaning they moved in a very pleasing way. We can say someone has three days grace, which means that they have three days to return the overdue library book. There are any number of ways we can use the word grace. but we consider grace as God gives it to us in Jesus Christ, what we're really meaning is not just what we don't deserve, but God giving us the opposite of what we do deserve. God giving us his favor. God giving us his mercy and his blessing in Jesus Christ, the exact opposite of what we have earned for ourselves, the exact opposite of condemnation. And this comes from God's goodness alone. As we read through Ephesians 1 3 through 14, we see a certain theme pops up again and again and again. Yes, all these things are happening, all these things are connected, all these things are certain and sure. But what is the foundation? What is the basis for these things? It's not anything good in us, brothers and sisters. It's not anything that God could look at and see, oh, they deserve this. The foundation for this grace, the foundation for the blessings, the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places that he has given to us, it's his own goodness and will. And try as we might, and people have tried to get behind that somehow or another, we can't get behind it. We don't know why exactly God chose to bring grace to us. Other than he chose to out of his own will, out of his goodness, out of his own love. And he has given us every blessing there as we see here, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Right from the get go. Before he even gets into more in Ephesians 2 and 3 of how this uh, looks and what this means for us, he's reminding us, he's reminding the Ephesians of the fact that we have every blessing in Christ, that there is nothing that we could need, nothing that we could want in Christ that we do not have. He's reminding us of who God is. That God is not only gracious, but God is far from stingy. That God is the greatest giver who has ever given anything. That he gives in quantity and quality completely. And that ultimately these blessings are spiritual blessings. Now, you've probably heard me say this time and again, and I'm sure I will keep saying it time and again, but when you see in Paul things the word spiritual, often in your mind it's helpful to capitalize the S. He isn't just talking about spirit versus flesh or spirit versus body, what he's talking about is having to do with the Holy Spirit. These are blessings that the Holy Spirit himself brings to us, that they come through him, and these heavenly blessings are ours now because we have the Holy Spirit. Even as he said there at the end of our passage. We're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. That the Holy Spirit comes to us as a seal that we have received this spirit from God and therefore we have received these blessings. These heavenly blessings are ours now. Perhaps that challenges some of our thinking. How often do we think, well, when we get to heaven, then we'll be blessed. When we get to heaven, we'll have these wonderful, great things from God. And that's true. And we will have them in a greater degree than we have them now, perhaps, or at least experience them in a greater degree than we have them now. But what Paul is telling these Ephesian Christians, from a jail cell, no less, is that we have these things now. That every spiritual blessing is now our possession. That everything that we could need, we have. And it's not just something for the Jewish people. The Old Testament people of God, but it's for Gentiles as well. Notice as we see here in verses 3 through 14, the different uses of us and you. These blessings come to Gentiles too. This is something that's going out to the entire world, that's going out to the entire known world as they knew it back then. That Paul himself was the apostle to the Gentiles and that most of us here today, I'm pretty sure, are Gentiles. Gentiles we are proof, that we are evidence that these great blessings from God have come from out of eternity past into the present and have been given to us even now. In Ephesians 2, 11 through 13, if you look at those words, "'Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise.' having no hope and without God in the world. And so that was our situation. And if left to ourselves, if Christ did not come for us through his messengers, that would be our situation still now. But Paul goes on. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So what Paul is saying, even here at the beginning of Ephesians, even before it gets into chapter 2 and explains it in more detail, is that if you are trusting in Christ, Jew or Gentile, you have these blessings given to you. That you have Jesus. And in Jesus, you have all these things because the Holy Spirit has been given to you. That they are true of you. That these things are absolutely true of you. And this is a great inheritance. Now, each and every single week, I'm a little bit more glad that that's the name that was chosen for the West Valley Church Plan, Inheritance URC. Because you go throughout scripture and you see this popping up again and again, whether the exact word is used or not. And here in our passage in Ephesians 1, this word is used quite often, especially as we see in verses 11 and 14. Inheritance here is an idea that goes back to the promises made to Abraham. Boys and girls, you probably remember the story of Abraham. It's one of the first things we often read as we go through the Bible, as we get into the book of Genesis. That God came to this pagan and told him to get out from his land, the land of his fathers, and go to a land that God would show him. that he would make him a great blessing, that he would bless him, that he would give him land, that he would give him uh, or land to his descendants, he would give him more descendants than the stars of the heavens and the sand on the seashore, that all these great spiritual blessings would come to him and Abraham believed and went. As we trace the story of the inheritance all throughout the Bible, we find that things are added to it and things are used to explain it more thoroughly. What Paul is saying here is that in the Holy Spirit and in Jesus Christ we have our salvation, which is this inheritance that God has promised to Abraham, that it has come to us even now, that's fulfilled in our complete salvation. That all the desires and all the needs of God's people have been pointing forward to this, and it's what we have even at this moment. We can ask at this point: so, what is the inheritance? It might seem almost like cheating to say, "Okay." Abraham was promised descendants and that they would have a land and all these different things. And now Paul is coming to us and saying, well, you have this inheritance and we recognize we do not have thousands and millions of descendants and we do not have a land of our own, perhaps, in the same way that Abraham was promised one for his descendants. So we can ask, what gives? What exactly is happening here? What is this inheritance? Well, I can tell you with certainty that it's much better than descendants in a land. What Paul is making very clear here in Ephesians chapter 1 is that our inheritance is God himself. Our inheritance is God himself. That we are not even sealed by the Holy Spirit, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit because he's a down payment on what we will receive in completeness in the future. That we will dwell with God forever, that he will be our God and we will be his people in a way that we can scarcely even understand now. Brothers and sisters, all the blessings that we have All the comfort or the assurance that we may have from day to day, and that varies. All the recognition we have of what the gospel is and what Christ has done for us. All the communion we have with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, even at this point, are going to be much greater in the age to come. They're going to be full. They're going to be complete because God himself is our inheritance. And Father, Son, and Spirit bring us salvation. And ultimately, the greatest blessing, the greatest inheritance of salvation is communion with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so this is the what. This is what Paul writes to the Ephesian Christians to remind them of at the beginning of this epistle. It's what he wants us to remember as well through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that these things are true of us even here today. So now we can ask our second question. So what? And perhaps at this point that's becoming more clear. Sometimes you have information given to you and you think, what am I supposed to do with that? How am I supposed to act on that? What am I supposed to know as a result of these things? When it comes to these sorts of things that we read in Ephesians 1, it's much easier to see so what. We really see here that the so what is that God himself, all three persons of the Trinity, have acted for our salvation. That they have acted to redeem us in grace. We see in verses 4 through 6 that salvation was predestined especially by the Father. He predestined us for salvation. He predestined these blessings to come to us. That all things that have happened have come about as a result of the fact that God the Father chose us. And I'm here to tell you, if you're trusting in Christ this morning, we can make this even more personal. Before anything you see or taste or touch or smell even existed, God chose you. Let me say that again. Before God spoke creation into existence, he chose you. What a great comfort that is to us. What a great God that shows to us before the beginning of the world, chosen in Christ by God the Father. And again, why can we say that God did this? Because of anything in us? Because we were so cute and so great and so desirable and so needed? No. Only because of his grace, only because of his love, only because of his great mercy to us, only because of his good will. And this was all done for his glory. We see that refrain in verses 6, 12, and 14, that all this was done to the praise of his glorious grace, to the praise of his will, to the praise of who he is. And so God the Father predestined us to salvation. That's the first in the answer to so what. But the second answer to so what is that salvation was accomplished by God the Son, by Jesus Christ, in verses 7 through 12. Notice those verses with me again. so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. That not only were these things predestined in eternity past, before time even existed, and we can't really wrap our heads around that, but in history, God the Son took on flesh. Jesus Christ came to earth. He was born of a virgin. He grew up. He developed as a human according to his human nature. He lived for us. He died for us, he rose again for us, he ascended for us, he's even now ruling and interceding for us, he will one day return for us. That Christ came in history to earn and accomplish the salvation that we have and that was through ultimately his blood. It was costly and it was gracious. That these things came to pass because God the Son suffered for us. Because Emmanuel, God the Word incarnate came for us. He fulfilled the plan. He fulfilled the will of God from eternity. And again, to make this more personal, if you are trusting in Christ this morning, God the Son came for you. He lived for you. He was born for you. He died for you. He rose for you. He ascended for you. is interceding and ruling for you. He will return for you and he will be with you forever. This is what Christ has done. This is the God that we worship. And this is not plan B. It's difficult for us to fathom how it could not be plan B because we know what happens in Genesis 3 and we know all the things that happen as a result of this. We aren't given the answers to those things. And I know it frustrates me just as much as it frustrates you sometimes. Why? Because I'm a sinner. Because I think if I can't understand it, it can't possibly be true. But this, brothers and sisters, was not plan B. God chose to do all these things. God predestined all these things. Christ came to do all these things. And this was God's plan from the beginning, from before the beginning. And so even as we're gathered here together this morning, even as we're worshiping with each other, as we're fellowshiping with each other, as we're receiving from God's word and we'll soon be receiving from his sacraments, God had this plan from eternity past. And no matter what's happening in your life, no matter what's going right or what's going wrong, that can be a great comfort to us. This is all according to his plan and it's all leading to the great glorious inheritance that we will receive in fullness at the end. And so salvation was predestined especially by God the Father. It was accomplished especially by God the Son and the final of the three, so what's Salvation is being applied by God the Holy Spirit in verses 13 and 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. So God the Holy Spirit has a part to play, too. And perhaps we do have a danger of, as I've heard it, being binitarian in practice. You might think, oh, he's making up words again. We know we're Trinitarian, that we believe that there is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, that all three share in the same essence of God, that they are all true God. And we believe that, and we confess that, and we say that in the Apostles' Creed, even as we'll do in a few minutes. But brothers and sisters, how often do we behave, how often do we live as if only God the Father and only God the Son exist? is if the Holy Spirit is really the forgotten member of the Trinity. Or maybe perhaps he was active in the past, but what could he possibly be doing now? Because we don't see these miracles happening as they were in the past. We don't see all these wonderful things, all these great miraculous signs and wonders. Well, the fact of the matter is, we do see them, we just don't know where to look. That God, this Holy Spirit, is applying salvation to us. And even now, if you are trusting in Christ, he's bringing it to you. Again, personal. If you are trusting in Christ this morning, even this very millisecond, God the Holy Spirit is applying the benefits of Christ, life and death and resurrection, to you. He's bringing you power. He's bringing you blessing. He's bringing you strength. He's bringing you Christ and all his blessings. If Christ lived and died and rose again for us and didn't come into contact with us, we didn't receive him and didn't have a way to be in contact with him, it wouldn't do us any good but the Holy Spirit brings him to us. I know as a child, sometimes I would think these things, not knowing that it had been a debate in church history for hundreds of years. How can it be that Christ in his body, at least, is in heaven and I'm on earth, and how can I be united with him? How can I have communion with him? Well, I think that's perhaps, out of all the amazing things Paul says in Ephesians 1, 3-14, this may perhaps be the most amazing. That is through the Holy Spirit that these blessings come to us. That is through the Holy Spirit that we have a connection and a communion and a union with Jesus Christ. We read in Heidelberg 53 What do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit? And the answer is first, that the Spirit with the Father and the Son is eternal God. Second, that He is given also to me, so that through true faith He makes me share in Christ and all His benefits, comforts me, and will remain with me forever. Again, if you're trusting in Christ, that's true of you. The third person of the Trinity is doing those things for you. He has been given to you. He is comforting you. He is strengthening you. He is bringing you Christ and all of his benefits. So how does what Christ did come to us? How does it benefit us? How do we have contact with Christ himself through the Holy Spirit? And now we begin to narrow it down a little bit more as we consider the fact that we are coming to the Lord's table this morning. If this is how God tends to work, that the Father predestined, the Son accomplished, and the Holy Spirit applies, how does the Holy Spirit apply our salvation to us? How does he bring these great benefits that Christ won and earned and is given to us? How does he actually bring them to us? Well, often through quite ordinary ways. What does he primarily use? The means of grace. The word proclaimed, baptism, the Lord's Supper, in a sense also prayer. We especially think of the Lord's Supper this morning. In 1 Corinthians 10, 16, we read, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Paul is making it very clear, and we don't have time to get into all of that this morning, that when we receive the elements of the Lord's Supper in faith, the Holy Spirit truly unites us more and more in a close communion with Jesus Christ that we ultimately feed on his body and his blood in a spiritual way. Capital S again. Now, Paul doesn't really explain himself in 1 Corinthians 10. I would argue, though, that he's explained himself here in Ephesians 1. How does this happen? How do these heavenly blessings come to us now? Well, because we have the Holy Spirit. He is the down payment on the inheritance we will receive in fullness on the last day. And so this is what Paul tells us. This is so what, the reason it's important, and why it matters. Now we can ask the final question. Now what? What? What do we do with this? How do we respond to this? How do we think about this? Well, there are certain things that God is calling us to do, brothers and sisters. First and foremost, to believe in Christ and to be encouraged in your salvation. To trust in this one who came and lived and died and rose again for all those who trust in him. To believe that this gospel message is true and it depends on the one who predestined all things and who depends on no one and nothing outside of himself. And to believe that the Holy Spirit will truly bring these things to you, even as he's promised. Because this is the great salvation that the triune God has brought to us. So believe the gospel. But This is also the triune God who has brought this great salvation to us. And so be assured and comforted in your belief. Know that this one that we worship is the one who is above all things, and yet look what he has done for us. And it's not as if the Son is coming and living and dying and trying to twist the Father's arm into accepting us and trying to twist the Holy Spirit's arm into applying these things to us. All three persons of the Godhead are in agreement. They're all working for this. They're all working for us and in us, before us and behind us. And so as we come to the Lord's table... And that's in the context of all these things we've heard. It's in the context of the salvation that Christ has won for us, the Father predestined that the Holy Spirit is applying. How should we consider these things? Well, for one thing, we should recognize this is not a funeral. I grew up in a different context than perhaps this one, and I know many of you did as well. And we would have the uh, Lord's Supper, I think, every six months or every three months. I'm not entirely sure. And although it was never explicitly said why, as those things often are not, you could tell just by looking around when the Lord's Supper came, well, this is too hard to do very often. This is taking too much of a toll on our sadness and our emotions. This is too much of a funeral, and who wants to go to a funeral all the time? We have to wear black suits and have somber music and the lights are dimmed. I can tell you, I've never been to a feast like that. Maybe I will one day, but I haven't been to one yet. Certainly, we remember Christ's death for us, his sacrifice on the cross for us, his body broken and his blood poured out, his blood shed for us. But we remember that this is made for our strengthening, for our comforting, and that we are feasting not only with Christ, but on Christ. It's a feast, not a funeral. And so treat it as such, joyfully, reverently, yes, but joyfully. This is how God is bringing his grace to you through the Holy Spirit. So God is calling us to believe in Christ and to be encouraged in our salvation. He's also calling you to praise your triune God. Remember, that's what started this out from the beginning in verse 3. That's what Paul was after here, praise to God. How did Paul begin this letter? By praising God for who he is and what he has done. And how should we respond? Well, it's, it's quite simple. We should praise God for who he is and what he has done for us. And to make it personal again, if you're trusting in Christ, you should praise God for who He is and what He has done for you. Not just in general, not just in the abstract, not just, oh, I know God does this for people. He has done this for you. He is continuing to do this for you. And so we should praise Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We should remember these things as we go about our weeks. We should continually come back to these things. This should be a matter of prayer and praise for us, for all throughout all of our Christian lives, a matter of praising our triune God for what he has done and who he is as a result as we see these things that he has done. And finally, what is he calling us to do? Not only to believe and to be assured, not only to praise and to glorify, he's calling us to look to his work in the supper. To look to his work even as we receive this sacrament here in a minute. That in the supper is the spirit of Christ who brings the benefits of Christ to the people of Christ and ultimately who brings Christ himself to us. Think about that, brothers and sisters. We are about to receive the body and blood of Christ for our spiritual nourishment. Did God have to do that? No. He chooses to through the Holy Spirit. Remember, we cannot make the Lord's supper what it is. Now, that doesn't mean that we are to treat it flippantly, that we're not to have a high regard for it and esteem for it, not to be joyful as much as we can, even though though we might be going through hard times as we receive it. But our attitude towards it, our understanding completely of what it means, is not what makes it significant. It's significant on its own. Because it's the body and blood of Jesus Christ, broken and poured out for us. And we receive it by faith, certainly, and we cannot receive it apart from faith. But we also cannot receive it apart from the Holy Spirit, and that's ultimately what makes it good news. If it depended on us, if it depended on me, I'll narrow the focus down here, take a little bit of the heat off, maybe. If it depended on me and how much I put into it, it would be more than useless. Because I am weak and I fail and I sin all the time. And even my best deeds in Christ are still tainted by sin. And if I receive it by faith, no matter what I think is going on in the moment, no matter how much I can feel it working or not, quote unquote, I can still be assured that the Holy Spirit is using it to bring me Christ and all of his benefits. So now as we come to the table, brothers and sisters, recognize what is happening. You are receiving a part of the blessings, a part of the great inheritance that Paul is talking about in Ephesians 1, that God the Father predestined this, that God the Son accomplished this and earned this. God the Holy Spirit is applying it and giving it to you even now. Remember that this is true no matter what your experience is telling you. Paul wrote this from prison after all, and he was still confident in it, because, not because of who he was or where he was, but because of who God is and what God does. And so take and eat and take and drink because these heavenly blessings are yours. They were foreordained before the foundation of the world by the Father. They were earned for you by Jesus Christ and they are being given to you through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for what you have done for us for you and for the Son, for the Holy Spirit, for the great work of salvation and redemption that we have in you. We thank you, Father, for the fact that we can be confident in it, that we can believe in the gospel, that we can know that you, through your Spirit, are strengthening us even now, even as we hear your word proclaimed, even as we receive from your sacrament. We pray, Lord, that your Spirit would continue to strengthen us as we consider these words even in the weeks to come. We pray all these things in the name of the one who earned it for us, Jesus Christ. Amen.